Good morning, Harbor Covenant. It is so good to be with you guys today. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Jonathan. I am the student pastor here on staff, um, but it's great to be online with you all. Uh, I know that originally there had planned a Harbor Covenant trip to Israel. Um, and just due to some very unfortunate circumstances, uh, that trip has kind of been paused and postponed. Um, but it got me just thinking about the first time that I went to Israel, and it, I, it was truly an incredible trip. Uh, when I was uh, 19 years old, I had joined this gap year program where we spent nine months all together, actually 12 months, but around month nine, um, we got to take a two-week trip to Israel. And it was truly one of the, the best trips that I've ever been on. Um, and while we're there, we spent two weeks touring all of Israel, areas by the Red, the Dead Sea, um, up to Galilee, spent some time in Jerusalem. Like it was just truly an incredible experience. But I will never forget uh, being at the Sea of Galilee. We were staying at this hotel. And uh, like I said, I was, I was 19 at the time. Um, and everybody in this gap year program was between 18 and, and 20. Um, and here we are, these young adults. We are in, overseas on a foreign trip. We are having the time of our lives. We're like just at that age where we believe ourselves to adults and we have a little bit of freedom. But we don't have too much freedom because we have our directors and people overseeing us in this program. Um, but we, we were really living it up. Um, and I don't know what it was, if it was just immaturity, if it was a little bit of ignorance, maybe a little bit of arrogance. Uh, we just thought that we kind of ran the place that we were staying in. And so I'll never forget one night, my friends and I, we were coming home or coming back to the hotel. We had, we'd stopped by a local store just to get some snacks and some souvenirs. We're walking back. Uh, we see a group of our friends taking the elevator up to our floor. So we were like, cool, let's just hop in. Uh, we get in, we do a quick look around and we're like, oh, there's a, there's a good amount of people in this elevator. Um, and I look over and I was like, oh, the sign says six. And um, unfortunately it was me who said, don't worry, that's just a suggestion. And so we're like, sweet, send it, doors close, the elevator starts making its way up to our floor, it stops, we think we're there, uh, we were not, uh, it shudders a little bit, uh, it drops, um, we all freak out for a second, we think we're okay, it starts to go back up, and then it drops again, and then the elevator just stopped moving altogether. And I look around, and there are 11 young adults in this elevator, and immediate panic just takes over the group. Um, and then immediately after that, just a intense sense of desperation for us to get out of this elevator. And that was everybody's goal. And so um, there was a lot of different ways that this happened. Uh, one person just started hitting the emergency button as much as they could. They're like, if we just keep hitting it, then like they're gonna come and save us. And we're all like, I don't think just hitting a button is gonna be okay. And there's one guy who's really big, kind of the alpha man type of guy, very much prided himself on his physique. He kept on trying to pray, um, but unfortunately nobody could really take his prayer seriously because his voice kept breaking. So he'd be like, dear Lord. And then, and then we would all just like panic even more because we could tell that he was panicking. And this other guy, bless his soul, um, was pretty much raised on a farm out in the middle of nowhere, kept on trying to literally pry the doors open. And we were like, man, you gotta stop. We don't know where we are. We don't know where in the elevator shaft we were like, we're hanging, like don't open the doors. And he's like, no, we gotta get out. Pulls out a pocket knife to try to wedge into the elevator door to get out. Like it is just pure desperation for us to get out of this elevator. 
eventually the doors open and there's these Israeli men looking at us and they start doing the count as well. And they're like, there's 11 people and they're pointing at the number six. And we're like, we're so sorry. And they're yelling at us in Hebrew. And we're like, ah, oh, no, like we're American. Like we don't speak Hebrew. And that just kind of made it worse. And then eventually uh, I didn't know what to do. Um, so I just walked away. Uh, me and my group of friends and they're staying in my room, we just kind of walked off and said, you know what? I think we just need to leave. Um, and so we walked away. And I just, I'll never forget that experience. While Israel was great, that memory is now lodged in my brain because of the pure desperation that we had felt trying to escape this elevator. And I think this is something to an extent that a lot of us can relate on. That there will be moments and there's times in our lives where we are really desperate to change. We are desperate to get out of something. We are, we're desperate for the next thing to come. And we start to do anything and everything that we can to get out of the situation that we're in. And in those moments of desperation, we have the tendency of maybe accepting some really great advice. Um, we have the possibility of accepting some really bad advice. Or we kind of just ignore all, all advice altogether and do it ourselves as best as we can. And what I've noticed about desperation is that it reveals something about us. That when we are desperate for a job change, when we're desperate to, to find a new career, to get out of what we're in, it reveals to us that you know we're not actually happy spending our lives doing this work. We wanna do something else. When we're desperate to get out of certain relationships, whether that's a dating relationship or maybe that's just some friendships that you're in, it reveals to us that we are not okay with the people that are surrounding our lives. We're desperate to be around people that help us and encourage us and build us up. When we are desperate to find meaning and purpose in our lives, it tells us that we're not okay with life having no meaning. We want to matter. We want to make sure that what we're doing has an impact and fulfills a purpose. And when we are desperate to know God and we're desperate to be in a really deep, impactful relationship with Jesus Christ, it reveals to us that we're not content with where our relationship with Jesus is. We're not content living a life outside of him. And desperation and change really just kind of comes to the focal point when we start a new year. Maybe for some of us, we're ending 2023 thinking, man, I, I need a change. Like I am desperate for something to be different as I head into this new year. And we want to make sure that when we get to the end of 2024 and we look back, we don't feel the same ways we do about this current year. And so I want us to take a look at a passage in scripture where a person comes face to face with a desperate moment where they need change and they turn to someone that they've never turned to before. And so if you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to open it up. Uh, I'm going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5. And I know this is crazy. We're not in Matthew. We are, we are moving on. So we're diving back into the Old Testament. But a little bit of background first, if you haven't spent a lot of time in the book of Kings. The book of Kings originally is one book. Um, but it was so big that when the Bible was formed, we split it up into two just to kind of help break up a lot of the stories that are in here. Um, but what Kings does is it follows the story of the nation of Israel and all of their kings and their leaders. Um, because what happened was when Israel was formed in a nation, they really wanted a king. And so they prayed to God, like, God, give us a king. God was like, okay, kind of reluctantly gave them a king. And they anointed Saul. And, and Saul was a really good king for a little bit. And then he kind of uh, downward spiraled. And so God anointed David. And David was 
the greatest king of Israel. He is the king. When people think about the king of Israel, they think of David. And while his personal life wasn't always perfect, the way that he ruled and led Israel was great. And then he had his son, and his son Solomon took over, and he also started off really well. He was a great king at first, and then he also kind of downward spiraled at the end of his time as king. But pretty much after Solomon, the kings of Israel were rocky, and the nation was in a lot of tension. So eventually, the nation of Israel split, and you had the nation of Judah in the south, and you had the nation of Israel up in the north. And the books of First and Second Kings just record the acts and the lives of the kings, both in Judah and in Israel. Their good deeds, their bad deeds, those who are faithful, those who are not. And through those deeds and through those kings, we learn of a couple of really important prophets that come along. One of them that we'll be talking about is Elisha. But I want to pause there and I want to start reading this story in Scripture that is really Really significant. So uh, I am in 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 1, but it says this. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. And he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told this to his Lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so I want to I wanna pause there because there's a couple of really key things that are happening. One, the, the story that we're going to be following is a story of a man named Naaman. He was this commander of a Syrian army, and he had this great like, valor, and he had great success, and the Lord blessed him and, and gave him success in, in battles. And maybe this idea that he was of a man of great valor, it could imply that he had some um, level of integrity or the way he lived his life was in line with the God, Yahweh, of the, the Jewish, the Israelite people. But we're not fully sure. But what we do know, there's two things for sure, is one, that he's a leper. And a leper is somebody who has like this skin disease all over their body, um, or at least on parts of their body. And with the skin, what this skin disease does is in the nation of Israel, it made you unclean. You could not be a part of the people of Israel. You could not go to the temple. You could not worship the triune God. Like you had no place. You were forced on the outskirts of the city. We even see this, like Jesus heals lepers, and when these lepers are healed, he tells them, hey, go to the temple and go through the process of being cleaned and cleansed and like reintegrating with society of the Israelite people. So being a leper was a big deal. But Naaman is also, he's a part of the Syrian army. And what that kind of tells us is he's, he's not a person of Israel. He's not Jewish. He does not follow the God of Yahweh. He does not believe in him. He does not... Um, worship him, nothing like that. And I want to kind of take a moment and pause and just say, hey, if, if you're coming into this time this morning and you're thinking, hey, I don't, I don't believe in this Jesus stuff. I don't, I don't follow Jesus. This is, not my, this is not my cup of tea. And therefore, there's nothing here for me. I want to encourage you that this is for you. That there are people throughout scripture who do not follow God and yet show great moments of faith. And you have the same opportunity that we all do to respond in faith, regardless of where we are in the faith journey. But what is really key here 
is that Naaman, not a believer, not a person of Israel, not a follower, his journey of faith, his experience with God begins because of the testimony of a little servant girl. And this little servant girl couldn't have had a lower place in the Israelite society. Children were already as low as they could go, right? Their children together were below servants who were lower than most people. And in a patriarchal culture, women just had less of a voice in the ancient Israelite world. And so a little servant girl sharing to a commander's wife in an army was a huge risk. This was an incredible step of faith that she is showing going to people far, far superior than her where she could have been ignored, belittled, disregarded. She could have been abused and hurt for speaking out in this way, yet she goes and shares her faith. Why? Because she saw a need that she knew her God could fulfill. She saw someone who needed to be cleansed and she knew, hey, the God of Israel, Yahweh, he can cleanse people. Like he can heal. And so she shared. And because of her willingness to share, Naaman begins a a presentation. Sorry, he begins a journey of faith. But Naaman's story doesn't stop there. It says this. I'm going to pick up in verse 8. It says this. But when Elisha, this is the prophet that was mentioned earlier. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes and had sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and he stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will, shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought you would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands over this place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleaned? And so he turned and went away in a rage. And this is super fascinating because here's a man who is desperate for change, so desperate for, for healing and to being cleansed that he is following the word of a little servant girl to a God that he does not worship, to a prophet he does not know, and he is hoping and begging and desiring to be cleansed. And by the time he arrives and he is told what to do, the act is so simple of, hey, go and wash in the Jordan River seven times, that he is frustrated. He had these really big expectations for how God was going to come and clean him, that there was going to, he was going to stand, he was going to wave his arms around, he was going to call upon the name of the Lord, and this incredible, mighty presence would come down and heal him. And when the servant of Elisha said, hey, just go wash in this river seven times, he was frustrated. And at first I was like, man, this, is, this isn't crazy to have this be somebody's response. And then I thought about it, and I was like, man, but I, I think this might be a little bit more common in our churches today. How often have we come to God saying, God, I I am desperate for change. I need you to do something. I need you to open the doors. And so we come to church or we start to do these things and, and we realize I could have just done this at home. Like the encouragement is, hey, go read your Bible. Go pray, bring this up to God. Hey, go and worship with a community. Be a part of a small group. And we think, ah, that that's it? Man, I could have done this at home. God didn't come and show up. He didn't meet. He didn't 
open the doors in the ways that I had expected him to. And so if we are desperate to know God more, if we're desperate in 2024 to really have a deeper, more fulfilling relationship with Jesus, but we're expecting that we can only do that through these big, grand, powerful encounters from God, I wonder how much of a name and story we can relate to. I wonder how often when we're encouraged, hey, to, to pray, to go back to the basics, to read scripture, we think to ourselves, ah, that's not for me. I've already done that. I've already tried that. I don't need to do such simple things. And we're frustrated and we're disappointed. Tiny acts of faith mean making the simple act of being faithful. If we want to see God show up and move in power to change our lives and we are desperate for him to do something, sometimes the best act of faith we can do is just to be faithful in the tiny things in the simple request, in the basic moments, and saying, hey, I'm just going to read scripture again. Hey, I'm just going to set aside time in my week to pray. Hey, I'm going I'm to go back to church. I'm going to join a small group. These small, simple things are the calls that we have as followers of Jesus to be faithful in our day-to-day lives. But that's not where name and story ends. It says this in verse 13. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? And so he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And so this is crazy. So Naaman, not a follower, not a believer, not a part of the Israelite people, actually takes a step of faith. And he says, man, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed, I expected more from the God of Israel, but if this is what he's called me to, if this is what he's asked of me, I'm desperate enough to try. And so he goes and dips in the Jordan River seven times, and as he emerges, his skin is clean, that of like a child's. And there's a couple things significant I want to acknowledge here. First, the fact that he's doing it in the Jordan River is huge. When the Israelites were entering into the promised land, the rest that God had promised them after 40 years of wandering through the desert, they crossed through the Jordan River. This is why when you see John the Baptist baptizing people in the early uh, parts of the Gospels, he does it in the Jordan River because it signifies people coming to either the first time or returning to the rest and the promises of God. They start here in the Jordan. It's also significant that he dips seven times. Seven times is a really holy number we see throughout Scripture. God rested on the seventh day of creation. God uh, called his disciples and the Israelites to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times before the walls crumbled down. Seven is a significant number. So we see that even in the simple things that Naaman is doing and the things that he's being encouraged to do, there is a deep spiritual significance And then, of course, it's significant that as he returns, his flesh is that like of a child, which calls us back to the little servant girl who took a step of faith and shared with him about her God that could change and that could heal. These tiny acts of faith reveal God's power to us in our daily lives. If we are desperate to know Jesus more, if we're like, God, I want to know you as I go into 2024, I want to be in a deeper, more real relationship with Jesus Christ. 
is these tiny acts of faith that reveal God's power to us. And as simple as they may be, no matter how far into our journey of faith that we are in, we are not above the simple things. We're not above God calling us into the simple practices of faith. And so as we head into 2024, I have a couple of challenges for you, depending on who I think you might relate to here in this story. So my first person is, are you the serving girl? Maybe you're going into 2024 and you have a really strong faith. You've seen God move. You're experiencing his daily power. You, you know that God is good. And maybe the challenge for you is this year, who can you share your faith with even when it's a risk? Even when you might like be rejected, even when it's at work or at home, it's at school, it's somewhere where it's not a safe place for you to share. What if the challenge is for you to share? What if that is what God is calling you to? And by just sharing something simple, you're creating a space for somebody to start their own faith journey. Or maybe you're feeling like, hey, you're, you're naming, but you're frustrated with God. Like you're leaving 2023 and it has not been the easiest year. And you're like, God, I am desperate for you to move. I am desperate for you to show up. I'm desperate for you to change the circumstances of my life. And when he gives you the call of like, hey, come back to the basics with us. Of just going to church, of reading your Bible, of being in prayer, of being in community. And you're like, man, that's, that is not what I wanted. My challenge for you is to ask inward, why? What about these simple, tiny acts of faith are challenging for you? What are they bringing up that makes you not want to engage with them? And if there's anybody that you trust that you can talk to about these with, I would highly encourage you to do so. Don't, don't process through this alone. Bring this up. Talk to somebody. Or lastly, maybe you're, you're naming, but you're ready to do the simple acts. And my encouragement and my challenge for you is if you're ready, if you're desperate to see the change of God and you're like, hey, God is calling me back to the simple things. He just wants me to come and do simple acts of faith. Then my challenge for you is to just write one or two down and just put it in the front of your Bible and just keep yourself reminding, hey, these are the acts that I am committing to. Maybe it is, I'm gonna pray just like one or two days out of the week. Hey, I'm gonna go on a walk and pray. Or it's like, hey, I am. I'm going to join a small group. I'm going to be in community with other believers. I'm going to make time throughout my week to read my Bible. Twice a week, I'm going to dive into Scripture to start. These tiny, simple acts of faith allow us to see God's power in our day-to-day -day lives. And it's going to be great. Because in the next week, in the following weeks after, we as a church, Harbor Covenant Church, we are going into the series called Grow. Where we're going to be looking at some of these foundational moments and uh, disciplines and trials and aspects of the Christian faith. And each week, we're going to have a chance to practice these important things of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a part of this church? And I think if as a church, if we can commit to saying, hey, I'm going to be really invested and making a tiny acts of faith throughout my day, then we are going to have more stories of seeing God show up in our day-to-day -day lives. We are going to see him actively move and change and shape our lives. And that those, those moments are going to turn into stories. And we're going to have just countless stories to share with people of, hey, this is how I know God's real. This is how I know God is shaping my life because I keep seeing these moments in my day-to-day -day where he's doing something great. And when we have those stories, we're going to have more of the confidence 
of the tiny, of the little servant girl to share our faith. And when we see people who are hurting in the way that we have been hurt and struggling in the way that we have been struggling and they're desperate for the change that we were once desperate for, then we get to come and share that with them. That we get to go, hey, man, you're, you're desperate for community because you're feeling lonely. My God can fix that. Hey, you're desperate for strength in a really hard job. My God can give you that. Hey, you've been going through some suffering and some loss and you're desperate for some hope and peace. My God can heal that. That is the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. And that is my hope for us as we head into 2024, that we would be challenged to be consistent and committed to the tiny acts of faith. And so as we head into the rest of our week, there are three questions I want to ask you. And the first is this, this year, what is a simple tiny act of faith that you can commit to? or something you're not already doing that you could bring into your habits. The second is this, uh, who is someone that you need to share your faith with? Who is someone that you know is experiencing something that, that God is the answer for? And who can you share it with? The last question is this, what is a spiritual practice that your small group can do together this month? What's something that as a community, you guys can practice and hold each other accountable and say, hey, this is something that we can do together. Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.